listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. Great weather today, huh? Can you? My goodness. I thought about skipping myself. But my wife said, you're the preacher. You can't skip. Anyway, welcome, welcome. My goodness. I believe the Lord wants to really encourage us today. So I might get to preaching. Anyway, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we love you. We just, um, we're so grateful for the revelation of who you are and what you did for your, the brokenness you endured, the pain, the suffering, the bleeding, the agony, the dying, the life you lived before, and the life through resurrection you give us now. Holy Ghost, we love you. Thank you that you came. Fill people today. Baptize them in power. Cause them to have great confidence in you, Lord Jesus, in your word. Let them trust their word like they trust you and let they trust you with their lives. Ah, so, Karabat, yes, thank you, Jesus. We love you. Who loves Jesus? Anybody love Jesus today? My goodness. I wish I loved him more. And I love him a lot. I think there's more to come. I detected some cynicism in my heart last week. And... uh I was talking to a friend of mine this morning. We had breakfast, and I thought, boy, I would like I would like to experience again a certain kind of um, innocence that's not naive, but but just and, and I believe um, we need to have wisdom. We really do, but uh, I would like to have. And I think it actually, I think that what I'm after is really, um, an aspect of the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But, um, oh my goodness. How many of you have heard the term being in the Spirit? You're in the Spirit. Ready for a really tricky verse? Let me ask this. How many of you have received Jesus and been filled with His Spirit? to the best of your knowledge. How many of you are in the Spirit? See, just a few of you raised your hands, and the rest of you are wrong. The Bible says, for you are in the Spirit if the Spirit of God dwells in you. And so much of what we need to understand is the Word of God, what it tells us we have, what it tells us, who it tells us we are, and believe and proclaim the things that God has given us, basically through promises. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, for those of you who uh, haven't been here or um, don't plan on coming back. (laughs) Come on, that's a little funny. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I gotta, 
I got to up my humor if I'm going to reach this crowd, Lord. I'm kidding. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark. And um, what I want us to do today is consider two aspects of the Christian life, faith and patience. And we're going we're gonna to read, honestly, I'm going to read four minutes of the Bible out loud because I'm going to read one entire section of Mark 5 from like verse 21 to verse 43. I'm not going to make you read it with me, which you should be happy about. But um, part of what I want us to consider is this verse in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And it says, the writer said, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That word hope reminds me. How many of you know I wrote a book on hope? Probably a few of you, some of you. Um, It's called Harbinger of Hope, and I found out last week it's for pre-sale already on Amazon. And um, I have a trip scheduled to the publisher in Nashville. Thomas Nelson, a division of Thomas Nelson's a publisher, which I'm really thrilled, and I guess I can be proud of it without getting resisted. God resists the proud, so I'm not proud of it, but I'm happy that... Anyway, uh, and it's going to be... I believe they're going to ship it at the end of August, and actually there's an ad that's going to be in Walmart. So, man, if you can make it in Walmart, son, you made it. Anyway, we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who inherit the promises. I left out a phrase. But imitate those who faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience both. And we're going to see in this morning's um, text how it took both faith and patience to inherit promises that, uh, well, in, in one case were really life, life and death. One was life, having a better quality of life. The other one was, was a life and death situation. Now, you know, it's, it's so, it, I have a, I have a concern. All of us have been disappointed as believers, or most of us. Anybody here never been disappointed as a believer? That's pretty common. It's a common denominator. Suffering is a common denominator, I guess. But it's. I struggle sometimes with telling stories about people who got breakthrough when I'm talking to people who are disappointed because they didn't get one. You, You understand what I'm saying? However... That should never keep us from proclaiming the reality of the gospel and every single aspect of what God has promised us, even in light of our difficulties. Matter of fact, I believe that's why we have exceeding great and precious promises is because at points in our life, we will have exceeding great and difficulties uh, or difficult 
uh, problems, maybe even sorrows, maybe even disappointments. But one thing we cannot stop doing is we cannot stop believing in the promises and persevering in patience so that we can inherit everything um, God has promised us. And uh, we're in a battle. How many of you know, know you were born into a war zone? You were. You were born into a war zone. And um, you need to be equipped. You need to have uh, the weapons of our warfare. The Bible said are um, they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds and every false concept that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I had this idea too. How many of you heard about Jesse Duplantis's fifty-two million dollar jet? And everybody's mad at him. Therefore, Christians are stupid. Now, my wife and I did a little research. Guess how many churches there are in America? And I, Protestant churches, 350,000. Okay, so 350,000. How many pastors? Well, at least that many. How many have airplanes? Uh 50, 25, let's say 25 of them have big expensive jets. That's probably reasonable. If 25 out of 350,000 pastors have jets, that's 0.004%. And if you did any study of anything ever, and there was one aberration in .004%, you would not even consider it as part of what you're studying. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that to say this. Do you see how the media, both liberal conservative, affects the way we think about things? When .004% does something extreme and the rest of us hear about it, from total strangers. Does that make any sense? We have to understand we're in a battle over strongholds that try to determine how we're going to think, try to tell us who we are, tell us when to be ashamed, tell us when to be happy. And you are not going to get the truest essence of who you are or what you should believe if you don't really get it from the Bible. From the Word of God, which I believe is different than any other book ever, anywhere, at any time. There, there is latent in the Word of God a power that does not exist in any other word written in any other volumes of any other books. And it's like, um, supernatural jello. Until you get it in your mouth with a warm devotional heart, it does not release its essence and its power. Sitting over as jello is just jello. Sitting as words on a page, words on a page. But when you risk believing these words and proclaiming what you believe, Exceeding great and precious promises sooner or later will be manifest, will come to life in you, 
in your body, in your situations, in your relationships. And even if they don't and you continue to abide in that place of patience, it will grant you a hope and a confidence that will take you all the way to the end of where is it, wherever it is you're going. Cheers. So we're talking about exceeding great and precious promises right into the midst of difficulty. So here we go. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read uh, 20-some verses, and I think we have them overhead. You can read along, but you don't have to read them out loud. That gets awkward. After Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd, threw himself down at his feet. His name was, I'm calling him Jairus. I don't know if somebody knows better than me. That's okay. Everybody good with that? Let's say Jairus. Jairus. A Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue, he pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death, and she's only 12 years old. Come, lay your hands on her and heal her, and she will live. How many times did Jairus say that according to the text? He pleaded with Jesus saying what? Over and over. You have to be really serious and really desperate to be an exalted leader of a synagogue and come throw yourself down at the feet of an itinerant Jewish carpenter slash preacher. But there's a point there. He said over and over, come and lay your hands on her and heal her and she will live. So Jairus came to Jesus in faith. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. So Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter. Here's a woman who's had this uh, ailment for 12 years. Very interesting. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors. Yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was not getting better but worse. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd, came up from behind him, and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, what did she do? For she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd 
looking for the one who had touched him for healing. Let me also make this point. For she kept on saying to herself, what she keep on saying to herself? If only I can touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. So she had a faith level. Both cases, both faith levels were connected to something they were speaking, something they were proclaiming, something they were meditating on. I think that's very, very important. When the woman who experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear and threw herself down at his feet saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him her story of what had just happened. Have you ever been in a hurry somewhere and you run into somebody who wants to talk? Have you ever been with Jesus when your daughter was about to die and someone who was not about to die got an instantaneous miracle and Jesus stopped to talk to her and interview her a while about what had just happened? That would require patience, but not just patience, faith and patience. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, because you dared to believe, let's say that together, because you dared to believe. Now, see, that's where so many of us get off. When our feelings get hurt or, or Jesus uh, or the God, the Lord, however the Holy Ghost doesn't do for us based on our timetable, we have taken a risk, and if we don't stick it out, if we don't persevere, we get disappointed, and we're not willing to risk or dare anymore. And I'm going to tell you something. The Christian life does not work without that element of risk on an ongoing basis. Uh, Don Hardister told me about a dream he had for me in 1995. He said, in this dream, I was painting stop signs. And I had a whole room full of them. And uh, Don came in and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm painting stop signs. He said, why? He said, because people are always telling me to stop. And I just say, I've been hearing that for years. Go in there and look. I'm not stopping. I have trouble with my knee. I'm just going to limp my way ahead. I've been disappointed. I know what that feels like. I know what happens when a dream goes up in smoke. I know what it is to be disappointed. You don't preach your Bible. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You do that for months. I've been there. I get that. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have nervous breakdown type symptoms. I know what it's like to want to call my wife up on the interstate because I'm having a panic attack. And the man of God says, will you come pick me up? But I couldn't ask her to because cell phones hadn't been invented then. I just had to keep driving home, hoping I didn't lose my mind. And I told the Lord one time, he's, he said, Robin, what are you afraid of? I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. Anybody ever been there? I don't mean before I met the Lord, this has happened since. That's the scary part. I said, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my mind. And the Lord said, oh, I won't let you. And I thought, wow, that was very helpful. And... Th- Then I had a few people to forgive. I had more risk to take. I had to dare to believe again. I needed to get filled with the Holy Ghost. 
I needed to be so intoxicated with God, it would blow out all that negativity and depression and all those cobwebs that build up wherever those things build up. I had to be willing to go against the concepts and ideas other people had about who I was. That's called walking by faith in my case. Okay, here we go. Sorry, didn't mean to encourage it. Before, oh, daughter, because you dared to believe your faith has healed you, go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. So there's poor Jairus. He's thinking, hey, step it up here, Jesus. My daughter could be dead. Before he had finished speaking, people arrived from Jairus' house, pushed through the crowd to give Jesus the news. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. Why would anybody do that? That that's I would uh I don't like people that they're um I don't know what the gospel's good news. I don't know what bad news. Maybe it's uh now I'm gonna say that. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping me from saying what I was but Jesus refused to listen. Who's paying attention? Jesus refused to listen to what they were told and said to the Jewish official, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is to keep on believing. So they left for his home. But Jesus didn't allow anyone to go with them except Peter and the two brothers, Jacob, that's James, Jacob and John. When they arrived at the home of the synagogue ruler, they encountered a noisy Uproar among the people, for they were all weeping and wailing. Upon entering the home, Jesus said to them, Why all this grief and weeping? Don't you know the girl is not dead, but merely asleep? That makes no sense to me, because she was dead. But Jesus knows what he's doing. Then everyone began to ridicule and make fun of him. Somebody read that next verse. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But you have to picture what's going on here. Jesus had to operate by faith. He had to be careful what he listened to. But he threw them all outside. Then he took the child's father and mother and his three disciples and went into the room where the girl was lying. He tenderly clapped, clasped the girl's hand in his and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha kum, which means little girl, wake up from the sleep of death. Instantly, the 12-year-old girl sat up, stood to her feet, and started walking around the room. That's so amazing. Everyone was overcome with astonishment in seeing this miracle. Jesus had them bring her something to eat, and he repeatedly cautioned them that they were to tell no one about what had happened. And so here's what's going on. Let me make give some commentary. This great man named Jairus humbles himself. His 12-year-old daughter is going to die if Jesus doesn't intervene. So Jesus agrees to go with him. Jairus must have been excited and hopeful that Jesus was willing to go 
yet he must have been in turmoil that they would not get there in time. So Jesus is on the way, hopefully, to heal the child before she dies. So that's that's the picture. Jairus is grateful Jesus is coming, hopeful they can get there before the child actually dies. Well, then a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years enters the story. We find out she spent all her money and that her medical care actually made her worse and not better, and her condition continued to deteriorate. She'd heard about Jesus' healing power. See, that's another vital element. You're going to have to know for your faith to grow, you're going to have to restrict what you hear and how you hear things. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The minute those negative people were trying to overemphasize the death of the young child, Jesus forcefully put them out of that room. And there are people you just can't afford to listen to. You really can't. Um, Because Jesus not only says, be careful what you listen to, he says, be careful how you hear. In other words, you need to put as good a spin, terrible word, not a terrible word, you need to put as good an outlook on anything you ever hear always. If it begins to erode the confidence you have in God and in the promises you know he's given you because it can be a bit bit of an enemy. But she'd heard about Jesus' healing power. So she presses into Jesus' personal space. How many of you like close talkers? Hey, Robin, how you doing? Pretty good. I've never met anybody with four tonsils before. And uh, the top of your upper GI is inflamed. I mean, right up in your grill, right? Seinfeld episode. Oh, the woman presses into Jesus' personal space. He takes a hold of his prayer shawl and is instantly and powerfully healed. She kept on saying, if only I could touch his clothes, I know it will be healed. She touched him, instantly knew she was healed. She could feel it. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus could feel it. Now, I want to make a point here that's that's too good to be true. She got something from Jesus. Jesus was not prepared to give her. Let me say that this way. Jesus had not made a conscious decision to answer her prayer, but because of her faith and persistence, she got something from him. He did not make a decision to give to her. Is that registering? What does that mean? I think we have evidence here that you can get some things from God just by sheer persistence. I don't know what else that means. Why would this be in the book? Why would be, why would that be so startling that Jesus was willing to stop and interview this woman while another very, very ill 
young lady's life hung in the balance and could possibly be at death's door, maybe dead already. It's because Jesus marveled at anyone who was so convinced in his goodness and his generosity and his ability that they could press in through any crowd, any situation, and touch him in a way that he would give to them something he had not overtly chosen to give. That's very encouraging to me. I'm hoping, is anybody getting that? That is, that is so remarkable. So Jesus stands there and listens to her story. What must Jairus be thinking? Well, as all this is going on, the very worst of Jairus' thoughts came to pass. There's no need to trouble the master any longer. Your daughter has died. So Jairus' daughter passes away. Now, Tim Keller has written a book on the Gospel of Mark called, what is it, Jesus the King. And I really recommend it. He's got just some great, great insights in there. Some of them are sprinkled through this. Uh, and then Some of them are mine, but nevertheless... Here's one of his ideas. Here's a quote. Talking about the two sick people. If these two were in the same emergency room, any doctor who treated the woman first and let the little girl die would be sued. Jesus is behaving like such a reckless doctor. Jairus and his disciples must be thinking, what are you doing? Don't you understand the situation? Hurry. It'll be too late. The little girl needs help from you now. Hurry. Jesus, hurry. He goes on to say this. You can't hurry, Jesus. Let's say that together. You can't hurry, Jesus. Well, sometimes you can. That woman with issue of blood did. Figured out. You know, that's the thing. You can't pigeonhole Jesus. Can you hurry him? Yes. No. Can you hurry him? No. Yes. No. You just need to know him. That's really what it comes down to. Your doctrinal concept of who Jesus, it works up to a point, but it doesn't work as well as actually knowing him and relating to him and letting him put the kind of discipline in your life that will pay the most dividends for you and those around you over the long haul. You know, let me ask this question. Parents, is it always wise to immediately give your children what they want when they want it? No. No, because they need patience. We are in the pool last week. Christopher's little boy had his tonsils out. He was cranky, but he wanted a snack. So here's what he said. May I have a snack? And, And Brandy... He calls it knack. He doesn't say snack. Knack. I want a knack, he said. And uh, Brandy didn't get immediately out of the pool, so he said, I want a knack. <laughs> well, some, you, some things you just can't hurry up. And the sooner Cecil learns that, the better off the boys are going to be. He's going to get that knack. He's just not going to get that knack as soon as he wants that knack. So, did was Jesus guilty of malpractice? 
How do you inherit the promises? Through faith and patience. Another comment Tim Keller made. Curing a fever or raising the dead are no more difficult to Jesus. Jesus was saying this to Jairus. Trust me. Let's say that together. Trust me. Be patient. There's no need to hurry. I wouldn't have gotten that first go-round. I would have not been patient. But Jesus tells him, don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. Let's say don't yield to fear. Don't yield to fear. What do we need to do? All we need to do is keep on believing. I've, I've had people tell me, well, I tried the Lord. It didn't work. I said, well, maybe he tried you and you didn't realize what was going on. He always works. It doesn't work the way we want it to work, but you have to give him chance. You really do. You have to stick with him. Don't yield to fear. All you need to do is keep on believing. And so um, they arrive at the house. Jesus navigates the weeping and the wailing. And... Um, they rebuke Jesus. That's a bad problem. Rebuking Jesus does not seem to be effective. And when Jesus simply speaks to her little girl, little girl, wake up, instantly she sits up, stands to her feet, starts walking around the room. Now, another comment by Tim Keller, and I think it's really worth hearing. Jesus is saying it's not... I will not be hurried even though I love you. It's I will not be hurried because I love you. I know what I'm doing. And if you try to impose your understanding of schedule and timing on me, you will struggle to feel loved by me. That's so powerful. Jesus will not be heard, and as a result, we often feel exactly like Jairus, impatient, because there's an irrational, unconscionable, inordinate delay for our answers. Now, in, in some ways, these two stories contradict themselves. Tim Keller preaches, you can't hurry Jesus. The Bible teaches that the woman with the issue of blood pressed in and laid hold of what she wanted. And I think it's important to see it's by faith and patience we inherit. Jairus had to wait. Jairus, Jairus had to endure a very difficult period of time uh, between when Jesus agreed to come and when his daughter was actually completely whole. Now, one of the things... Uh, Donna and I have been doing lately is we begin to, uh, every morning we can, w first thing uh, when we're up, we take communion. We, we take the wine or the juice and, and some form of bread. And we make proclamations from the scripture. And we proclaim um, health. We pray for other people uh, that we know are struggling with, with physical ailments. 
we we proclaim um, promises. We have promises that go back 30 and 40 years over our children and our grandchildren. We proclaim these promises. And we, um, based on these promises, we uh, repel sickness or disease or inflammation or malignancy. I don't have a malignancy, but we just throw that in the batch because I read it in a book somewhere. But any of these different things, we take a faith stand and begin to proclaim our faith. And it's been, it's been really, really rewarding. And I was reading something Derek Prince had written about this. Art Mackey had given me one of his books and he was talking about Moses Rod. How many of you are familiar with Moses Rod in the book of Exodus? For those of you who don't know, um, two million Jews, give or take, were in uh, slavery. They had been enslaved by Pharaoh. They were the Egyptian workforce, and they had been that way for 400 years. And God called Moses through an 80-year process and um, established him and ordained him as the mouthpiece and the spokesman for the Lord to um, combat Pharaoh and all of Egypt and rescue all of God's people. And one of the things um, God gave him was he put a supernatural power in his shepherd's staff or his rod. And eventually that rod was called the rod of God. So there was this rod of God, and whenever Moses threw it down, it would turn into a snake, a snake that so frightened Moses he would run away from it. And the Lord said, well, go back and take the snake by its tail. How many of you would take a rattlesnake by its tail? No, I don't think that's wise. But God said, so he took it by its tail. It turned back into a rod. And Moses did a number of things with this. He actually met these magicians in Egypt. And he threw his rod down, became a snake. He was showing them what he could do. Well, the magicians threw their rods down, and their rods turned into a snake. So Moses' rod ate all their snakes as a display of whose power was the greatest. There was a point where Moses stretched out his rod. What was, the, what was that rod called? The rod of God. Moses stretched out the rod of God, and the dead the Red Sea parted, and they went through and they escaped. Okay, now, here's what Derek Prince said. God did not step off his throne and take the rod from Moses and say, I'll do it for you. That seems to be what many of us expect to happen. But God says, in effect, you've got the rod, you do it. Here's what the Lord says to us through that. You've got my word, you use it. How do you get saved? In Romans, I believe it's chapter 10 says, for with the mouth, with the heart, man does what? Believes unto righteousness. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And it says in Jeremiah chapter one, if you read the Hebrew like I do, don't, but I did, found it. When God asks Jeremiah what he sees, Jeremiah says, well, I see an almond. Well, the almond's the awake plant. And God says to Jeremiah, yes, you have seen well because I am awake over my word to perform it. Or I watch 
over my word to perform it, but he performs it particularly in the lives of those people who believe it and proclaim it and use it as one of their primary weapons of the warfare we are all in. The rod of God. It's God's rod, but he gave it to us. He told us to use it. Mm. Now, one of the things I don't believe we do enough is confess the word. Let's make some faith proclamations. How many of you want to do that? Good. <laughs> um, we're, we're going to do this this way. Everybody see this one here? Use John 10, 10 up there, Christopher. Let's read that out loud. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The Lord came that I may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, that's not a quote. That is a proclamation built on what we find in John 10.10, where Jesus said that the devil comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, how many of you feel like you have been stolen from in any dimension whatsoever in your life? Well, let's proclaim in the face of that, this verse of scripture. Let's take this rod and use it. You ready? John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The Lord came that I may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Oh, man. Is that good? Please refrain from any exuberance. <laughs> if I get to preaching real good, somebody will run up and butt their head right into one of those. That's when I know I've struck it rich, is when someone's willing to do physical damage to themselves out of pure, exuberant, foolish faith. How many of you are dealing with griefs or sicknesses or distresses or weaknesses or sorrows or pains? Anybody, anybody got any of those categories? Or what you going to do about it? Well, no, it'll be okay. No, let's, let's, let's do this twice, once to warm up and twice to really tie into it. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. The Lord has taken my griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses and carried my sorrows and pains. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needed for my peace and well-being was upon Jesus and by his stripes I am healed and made whole. 
That's really good. Let's do that again. The Lord has taken my griefs, sicknesses, weaknesses, and distresses, carried my sorrows and pains. He was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needed for my peace and well-being was upon Jesus, and by his stripes I am healed and made whole. Oh, thank you, Lord. Psalm 103. How many have had attitude issues? You're not grateful. One thing you can do is say you're grateful. John Mark was telling me one time, I think I got this right. If I didn't, he could fix it, I'm sure. But your mind can tell you you don't like things you really do like. I mean good things. And until you agree with what you really like, you don't have the confidence to enjoy what it is you're really supposed to have. Now, see, the Bible tells us, tells us God has poured out the Holy Ghost in our hearts. He's done that. That doesn't mean you're in touch with that part of what God has put in you. Matter of fact, the carnal mind, the mind, the way we think is one of the primary closed doors to the reality we could really enjoy if we understood what God had really put inside of us. How many of you have Jesus in your hearts? How many of you have Jesus inside? Is Jesus mad? No, he's happy. He loves us. Let's say this. Psalm 103, 2 through 5. How are we going to praise the Lord? I gratefully praise the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. Well, what are they? He forgives all my iniquities and heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and corruption. He beautifies, dignifies, and crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Let's do, who wants to do it again? I do. I really do. I'm in charge, so. How many of you are feeling a little different by reading these? Just a little, I'm, you know, really. How many of, is it registering, giving you some faith and confidence? Yeah. Well, the, I think the Great Depression might start tomorrow. That didn't help, did it? You shouldn't listen to that kind of stuff. Right? See how easy we... <laughs> oh, gosh. I wonder if he, does he believe that? I don't know. Is he an economist? He can't even hardly count. I want to do Psalm 103, 2 through 5. I gratefully praise the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and corruption. He beautifies, dignifies, and crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercy. Oh, man, that's good, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Now, 
There are promises, and then there are stupid promises. We're about to read a stupid promise. What do I mean by that? We're going to read a promise that every person in this room's life stands in contradiction to. Why did he give us this promise? Because every person's life in this room stands in contradiction to it. So he gave us this to do our battle, to do our warfare, to apprehend the height of these promises. This is in Psalm 91. One of of the things the Lord showed me was I believe Jesus lived in Psalm 91. And here's why I say that. When Jesus himself was in a serious, he was in a battle with the devil after the 40-day fast over whether or not he would go the distance to save the world. This was a serious, serious battle. Jesus and the devil at the temptation. And every single time the devil tempted Jesus with something, Jesus' first words out of his mouth were, it is written. And one of the places the devil attacked Jesus on was Psalm 91. He said, well, Psalm 91 says if you throw yourself down, Angels will protect and keep you, so throw yourself off this pinnacle. So the devil immediately attacked the stronghold because he knew if he could bring down Jesus' stronghold, he could bring down Jesus. I believe that's how important this psalm is, Psalm 91. So let's read this. This is just a portion of it. Because I have made the Lord my refuge and the Most High my dwelling place, Therefore shall no evil befall me, nor any plague or calamity come near my house. Because I have set my love on the Lord, therefore he delivers me. He sets me securely on high because I have known his name. I call upon the Lord and he answers me. God is with me in trouble. He delivers and honors me with long life. Okay, we're going to close. Let's do this. Anybody who has an ailment or sickness, stand up. Just go ahead and stand up. And we're going to read. And and those, um, somebody come lay hands on these people. Put it on your shoulder. We're going to pray. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray one of these proclamations. We're going to pray the Isaiah 53, 4, and 5. It says the Lord has taken my griefs. Let's say this to these people. The Lord has taken your. Let's go from my to your. Lay hand. Nobody's laying hands on you. See, touch is important. You could have an anointing. Anointing. Some of these people could pull an anointing right out of you. You don't even know you have and get healed. That's good. The Lord has taken your griefs, your sicknesses, your weaknesses, your distresses. He has carried your sorrows 
your pains. He was wounded for your transgression. He was bruised for your guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needed for your peace and well-being fell upon Jesus and by his stripes, by what happened to him, you are healed and made whole. Man, I feel something on that right there. Let's say that again. You are healed and made whole. Now, your job is to say, I am healed and made whole. I receive. I receive that now by faith. By faith. Yeah, the Holy Ghost. Listen, people are getting touched. I can feel it. Who can feel it? Who can't feel it? Believe it. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you that by your stripes, by what happened to you before we were sick, we were made whole. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to make this last proclamation. We're going to close with this. one. It's so powerful. Let's do this one more time. Psalm 91, 9 through 10 and 14 and 16. We do have healing teams today. We have people who will be glad to pray for you. Continue what we're doing here. Minister to you prophetically. Just come up right over here, and we'll get that going for you. Psalm 91, because I have made the Lord my refuge and the Most High my dwelling place, therefore shall no evil befall me, nor any plague or calamity Come near my house. Let me let me interject this. He actually says, though, a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it shall not come near me. I shall only with my eyes behold the reward of the wicked. I don't know what that is. I just don't want it. I don't want anybody to get that reward. What's he saying? There are... 11,001 people on a battlefield, and he is the only one it doesn't touch. That's, that's a stupid promise. That's like humble yourself and duck real low to take that one. Come on. So this is what he said. I forget where we were. Let's go to because. Because I've set my love on the Lord, therefore he delivers me. He sets me securely on high because I have known his name. I call upon the Lord. He answers me. God is with me in trouble. He delivers and honors me with long life. He will satisfy me and show me his salvation. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, let us seal what you've done with praise and thanksgiving from our hearts, Lord. Let us be grateful to you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, the Lord is the portion of my soul. I saw a vision of a, a train. And... Um, Let's say the train, you know, the trains in Korea go 200 miles an hour, maybe 250. 
but the only part of the train that has any juice is the engine. Right? So, um, but the interesting thing is a car with no power can go just as fast as what it's connected to. Whatever you're connected to, you can receive as much power as there is there. And the Bible says we're in Christ. Greater is you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up in judgment you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness of me, says the Lord. So we break off every word curse. We break off everything spoken against us. We break off every plan of the enemy. We condemn every one of those plans. And if those plans came out of anyone's mouth, we forgive, we release, and we bless them. And we ask, Lord, that life would take on a new meaning for us today, that your word would abide in us richly, 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 in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.